So hi everyone, uh, today in the NP studio, we have with us uh, Monal Pandya, um, a very, very decorated individual. Uh, he's currently leading the data team, um, uh, actually the data transformation team in um, Citibank's Global Consumer Bank. Um, he has been the CFO at Citi. Before that, he was working as an executive director of strategy at JP Morgan. And before that, he was also an analyst of the CFO training program in Merrill Lynch. So really, um, really well to have you here. Mona, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, so just, oh yeah, thank you. Uh, so just wanted to kickstart the conversation by um, talking about finance, about fintech, um, you know, because you have a wealth of experience in this field. Uh, how, do you uh, how do you see, I'm sorry, this landscape shaping up in the 21st century and, and especially during the pandemic? When everyone I mean, that's, that's, a really, that's a really great question. When you think about, you know, if I think about where I started uh, in the financial services industry in the late 1990s uh, to where we are now, um, it's a completely different landscape. And you almost need to take a step back and look at, you know, where the industry was and, and to get a better understanding of where it's going, uh, because it's going in a very different place. So when, when I started in the industry in the 1990s, and this is the late 90s, we're talking about an, an area of, you know, overall, there was the internet boom, right? You know, the markets were going skyrocketing up, many new companies coming to market uh, with a lot of promise of the internet. Uh, and and uh, a, a wide you know activity in the in the market from the general you know public right investing in uh, many of these areas and many of these um, you know new companies that were uh, you know that people were effectively fascinated at at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, I was uh, coming into the finance industry from a very different place, right? My, my background coming into school was I thought I was going to be a doctor. Uh, I went in, was taking, you know, classes in biology and chemistry and, and biochem and, and uh, uh, all these different, all these different fields. And I kind of realized that, you know, this might not be for me and uh, was thinking through and, and understanding what's happening in the landscape. And I figured, you know, if I wasn't going to be a doctor, I might as well be a lawyer. Right, so I changed my major, went into political science, right? And then I realized that, you know, um, a lot of my friends were getting summer internships, but maybe I should get a summer internship too. Right. Um, and with that, what happened was, uh, I had a friend of mine who was in uh, doing finance and business, uh, who encouraged me like, hey, listen, you know, all these, uh, you know, all these big uh, investment banks were coming to uh, Rutgers University for a right. career fair, you should come and see, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this is an area that interests you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really didn't have anything else better to do that afternoon. So I actually went with my friends. Right. We, uh, we, we started talking to some of the investment banks and I shared a little bit with my background. It was kind of like a career fair, right? So you kind of talk to the recruiter, you kind of keep going forward. And uh, I got a call back from uh, Deutsche Bank. And Deutsche Bank was looking for uh, an internship for me in their loan syndication uh, group. Uh, so this is the loan syndication trading, uh, which was also uh, you know a market making facility uh, for Deutsche and many other banks during that you know during that era in the late 1990s. And uh, ended up getting an internship at, at Deutsche Bank. Uh, was on the trading floor. You know saw you know how you know 
<laughs> how crazy you know the the, the work life was right definitely uh, back in the in the late 90s which is very different than how it is now which i'll get to uh but that sort of opened the door for me for wall street right and from there i i you know landed some roles at merrill lynch and then jp morgan and, and then most recently at citibank and um really the you know what i'll tell you is the when i walked into the industry in the late 1990s it was an area of a, of a major boom. Wow. When I started working, we had 9-11, right? Which was a major crash environment and right. jobs were lost and the environment changed, right? Uh, through the 2000s, you had a lot of different things happen. You had a major electronification of, 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 the, uh, of the trading markets, right? Uh, you had um, you know, banks starting to consolidate, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the number of investment banks that were around uh, in the 1990s versus they are today, a lot of them merged and consolidated and sold into my business, right? Uh -huh. You have the 2008 market crash, right? Yeah, the uh, and, and, and the credit crunch that happened in the, in the late 2000s, right? That led us into a big period of regulation, a period of, uh, you know, um, of, of a lot of self-introspection of, of banks of what their core competencies were. Mm -hmm. uh, you saw even more consolidation happening, right? Uh, you saw some banks disappear, right? Like a Lehman Brothers yeah. uh, as, down. As, as the big example there, right? Um, and, you know, that kind of brings us to, you know, all the way through where we are now, where, you know, the economy is changing once again. Uh, you have um, uh, new entrants into banking. Uh, that are non-bank players, right? And that could be your Apples, your Googles, your Walmarts, right? Right. Uh, and many others that are aiming to facilitate many of the same services that banks provide. Right. Uh, they may not be looking to help the biggest, most sophisticated investors yet, but from a, 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 a you know a person-to-person -person level or what they call a B2C level, right? A business right. consumer level. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of entrants, like a square, right? Who's right. it's, you know, payments between, you know, a, a business and a, and a vendor, right? You still have the major, uh, you know, uh, the major companies that have been around for a while taking next steps like PayPal, right? Like, uh, um, you know, like, uh, you know, Google, Amazon and, and Apple, right? also entering into the foray of where banks typically play. And what's happening is ultimately the banks are, you know, these heritage organizations uh, that have built up a lot of uh, technology, they built up a lot of assets, right? But they're not as nimble, right? And as innovative as some of these new players because they don't need to deal with the regulations. They don't need to deal with uh, the heritage, you know, uh, systems that they're operating from, as well as and the bureaucracy that comes with it as well. The bureaucracy that comes with it. So, you know, the what where where the whole banking industry is going um, is it is going to be a, a wide period of transformation. Right. Uh, they're looking to appeal to uh, you know the same clientele that you know the apples, the googles, the, the squares are appealing to. Um, things have to be much simpler. Right in the way they operate, uh, especially on the consumer side, um, it's it's you know the market making uh, side of the business, right? The trading side of the business, investment banking, 
will also change, but in a different manner. Specifically, consumer banking will go through a major change as we go through the next uh, 10 years, where I, I definitely feel um, you know, the innovation uh, uh, is going to be driven you know, partially from the industry, which will include the non-bank players. But uh, you're going to also see a lot more collaboration happening in yeah. your, uh, your banking institutions that own and operate the licenses to, you know, uh, to do banking in the various you know, countries. Um, you know, City, City Bank, as, as an example, um, you know, from an institutional side of the house is in over 90 countries, right? Wow. So that's half the world. <laughs> you know, a large, a large portion of the world on the consumer side, uh, they've been shrinking, right? Uh, they used to be in a lot uh, of countries all over Asia and in, in Europe and in uh, South America and obviously the U.S. Uh, and really now they're concentrating on like key wealth centers right around the world. Where where you see um, you know, where you see that focus and what's been put out there, but you're you're going to find you know the key trend in banking, uh, especially on the consumer side, you know, a, a immense focus on being digital, right, and immense focus on having simpler uh, uh, client offerings, right, as yeah. they look to uh, appeal to the wider you know to the wider marketplace and and really stay on on tap with you know other new entrance to uh you know to the to the banking market yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and um yeah a lot of words of wisdom spoken there that um definitely makes a lot of sense especially going through the arc of finance and you know of the banking industry um taking a few points of what you just said actually i was in a conversation with a friend of mine who's now a software engineer played um and you know they are really getting into the space where they want to sort of like you know um be the bridge between the, the heritage banks and and the end consumer and sort of like you know connect the data and everything else um we were talking about this whole concept of decentralized finance right DeFi has been up for a time now and um it's just talking about how um there's a certain section of consumers out there in the market who rightly so wrongly so you know not to label anything but have have a certain distaste for banks in the sense that they they feel that um you know banks have either too much power or they control too much and um, uh, you know decentralized finance going towards that would just mean that you know everyone is in control of everything um i remember you know even talking about this with you before about just having like a you know the blockchain technology and all of these new technologies coming in just wanted to know what you feel about that like it, these are two sides of the extreme. On one side, you have the banks, um, and on the other side, you have decentralized finance with not only like um, just the Apples and the Googles, but every single person being their own, let's say, data broker. Uh, what, where do you see the industry, you know, sort of hitting a sweet spot in the next 10, 15 years? So, so I think I think number one, um, DeFi and de you know decentralized finance is is here to stay. I okay. think I think it is um, going to be a large part of the future of how uh, money movements, contract movements, and financial instruments and exchanges actually will operate in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the recent trends is that you know uh, the big banks are um, are also getting into you know all of these different um, you know whether it's blockchain based uh, uh, client offerings, right, um, or distributed ledger client offerings. Um, that's that's already started and i think it's only going to grow i think more and more business will you know will actually uh 
uh, you know, leverage you know, these you know, DeFi uh, channels uh, in the future. Right. Uh, and, and the reason why is that it really kind of levels the playing field for so many different uh, you know, businesses and consumers that typically may not have had access, right? Right. To uh, a, what a big bank like a JP Morgan or a Citigroup or a, you know, or a HSBC from a glo real global aspect uh, would be able to offer. Now, right. one thing that's, that's not, you know, here today, which will also come is uh, regulations. You know, what are the protections that need to be had, right? As it relates to, you know, these areas, what are the ethics that need to be, you know, sort of managed through, you know, what you see, because you know, as, as new as it is, right, even, you know, one of the recent, you know, one of the recent newsmakers is, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the crypto thefts that have been happening and- Yeah, and, embezzling and, in crypto, yeah. And, and uh, not only embezzlement, but also, you know, uh, anti-money laundering uh, factors that need to be considered as it relates to, you know, what, you know, banks, you know, the rules that they're held to as it relates to whether it's U.S. regulations or other international regulations, um, those, uh, those various, you know, <laughs> distributed ledgers or various blockchain, you know, forms of finance, um, they're not there yet, right? They, the regulations have not caught up to them. So there's a fine balance yet that, that needs to be had, but without a doubt, I think, uh, it is going to be one of the big, uh, uh, the big ways that the, the playing field will be leveled, right. For Definitely. the banks and allow a lot more access, uh, to funding, uh, to instruments, uh, and to exchanges for, uh, uh, for the general populace. Makes sense. Um, yeah, talking about that as well. And, uh, I think I'm, sort of like thinking about another point that you mentioned when you were first talking about, you know, your journey, right? We were talking about how uh, you were initially drawn towards the more professional standard fields, like whether it was medicine or law, and definitely those were more prevalent, you know, back then. Um, but still, there's a thing, and I honestly, I feel as a student, you know, in, in, in a university, I still feel that there's this gap where the influx of finance courses and the influx of knowledge being, you know, needed, um, to understand how the market operates um, just beyond the micro macroeconomic level is still missing, right? You don't have a lot of investment courses. You don't have a lot of courses that really focus on, uh, on the stock market, on trading, on these technologies, even in high school. Um, and there, I, I feel at least, you know, like being a progressionist, I feel that there, there is a need for a change in the way things operate because um, let's say for someone like me, uh, I was just comparing these scenarios, right? It, across generations for someone like my dad or you know for someone like you you were introduced to these fields um after you were done you know with your college maybe in your senior years i was introduced to them maybe at, at the onset of my high school and whatnot and i've even spoken with your daughter who says that she knows about it from now and she's still what uh, she's just entered middle school um so just wanted to know what do you feel about this and do you feel that there's like an urgent need for this to happen or you feel that you know, we, we still need to, you know, be in a, in a better place before we get this. That, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, a, a lot of this has to go back to, you know, what are the opportunities you get exposed to um, as you go through schooling, as you go through university, coursework that's available to you? Right. That's sort of one big channel of information that you'll get, right? Secondly, you know, in terms of your, your parents, your, your friends and family, uh, individuals that you have exposure to that 
also will give you a level of information, right? Not necessarily real education, but information and, 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 and intriguing at the, or, or pulling out the curiosity factor of Correct. You know, what are the other fields that are out there, right? So as, a, as an example for myself, you know, my father was a, a research uh, scientist um, uh, and a pharmacist, you know, working for, uh, you know, many years at the big pharma uh, companies in, uh, in and around New Jersey, right? right. Um, all of his friends were, were pharmacists, right? Um, his, uh, you know, my, my mom worked in, in insurance, right? Uh, but the, the, the vast, you know, the vast majority of, you know, exposure that I got uh, to any type of field growing up was through, you know, uh, what my dad and his friends were exposed to, which was, you know, more around healthcare, pharmacy, you know, a little bit of medicine, right. really around healthcare generally. Um, so that's something that was sort of like in my, in my mind, going through school, you know, to, to your point, you know, there were a lot of courses in your, what I call your standard curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. But like the specialty courses were, were more so in the fields of science and probably, uh, uh, you know, um, history, right? And at least the schools that I was uh, uh, going through uh, in, in the New Jersey public school system. Um, getting into college, you have a little bit more variety, right? I think a lot of it has to, you know, the, it, it comes down to, you know, where your passions and interests are. Um, the, the challenge here is that you never know, you, you never know what you don't know, right? So yeah. figuring out, um, figuring out that really takes your own personal, you know, uh, interest of, you know, trying something different and trying something new, right. And figuring and trying things out in the manner of, well, this, is this something that actually interests me and do you feel passionate about? Right. Um, and, and like I told you earlier, you, you know, this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the one passion I've always had is like, you know, learning something new. Right. And, and that's probably the, the one thing that I, you know, you know, in my, in my own coursework, right. Um, that got me into different areas that, um, you know, allowed me to explore, right. From a more liberal arts basis or rather from, you know, looking at what, um, you know, what, uh, other individuals were doing, it, it always went with an open mind, right? And, and I, think, I think those were areas that allowed me to figure out what I did like and what I didn't like, right? Yeah. You know, I think and that's something that I would recommend, you know, people do when you don't get that exposure, right? Um, because you can't control certain surroundings, right? Whether it's the school you choose or the coursework that's given to you or what you get exposed to. Definitely. From a, from a familial standpoint, uh, what you want to expand on that with is challenge, challenging yourself of trying different things. And, you know, what, what's going to happen is you might find something that you really love. And if you right. find something you really love, that's where you want to go deep, right? Because mm -hmm. that's something that you can really drive that passion to in your life. It makes sense. And, and definitely, you know, at the end of the day, passion does end up defining everything that you do. Um, because um, here's another conversation I was having with a few of my friends back at school who are currently interning it, uh, in, in the financial district um, in all these big financial companies. And, you know, we were just joking about how, um, like they were talking about the hours that they work in and how they're like absolutely insane. You know, like uh, a friend of mine who works at a big company was telling me that his, his regular working hours are like 10 a.m. to midnight every day. And then on the weekends, it's up till 10 p.m. And that, that according to him is still okay. 
and I was like, um, you know, I just feel way too pampered by a tech firm. Uh, <laughs> so um, wanted to know, what do you feel about the current working culture in finance, where there's, um, whether it's IB or whether it's private equity, there's this uh, a lot of physical work being put in, right? And then you compare and contrast that with technology where definitely work is put in, but I don't feel as much, or maybe the returns are, are better, or, or maybe, I don't know if you can even compare them, but um, what do you feel about that? Do you feel that it's, it's probably a lot, or maybe because you, you know, you've been through all the stages, or maybe you feel it's a little less? Yeah, so I think, I think overall, right, um, it, is, it is probably uh, a little bit better now um, than it used to be when I first started working, and you know, working 100, 120 hours a week uh, wow. was normal. Um, and you, one has to really understand why, you know, some of those roles are not every role on wall street. Are you working those hours? It's really the client facing roles, right? That you're, you're working the, the longest hours. And, and the reason why is that there's a heavy demand, right. For, um, you know, uh, uh, what I call wallet share, uh, from the biggest corporations and the, and the wealthiest investors and how the banks can support them. And when it comes to that, every bank is trying to one up the other in terms of uh, thought leadership, in terms of ideas, right? In terms of uh, speed to market, right? Um, and that can be across, you know, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different areas. Um, the reason why, you know, the, uh, the long working hours are there, some of it's culture, but a lot of it's the demands of the end client. Wow. These end clients are trying to make very, you know, clear strategic decisions for their corporations, right? And they're relying on the banks to uh, help them solve funding needs or helping them to solve strategic, you know, uh, and, 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 and M&A related needs all the way through to, you know, providing liquidity, right? You know, uh, and, and, and sustainability for their payroll, right? It could be, uh, it could be from, from uh, all those different angles. Um, the work that, you know, analysts and associates put in is really to help support uh, the needs of those clients. There's there's obviously a um, you know uh, a system where you know uh, the work does definitely flow downriver, right? Yeah, um, that's true. Eventually, there's a lot of trial and error that goes right. Mm -hmm. uh, what you also find is that the tools are also a little bit better uh, now than they used to be in uh, uh, in uh, when I first started, right? Right. Um, I think I think uh, uh, the way you learn on the job of how to operate, uh, uh, you know, you know, Microsoft Excel or or um, or creating, you know, PowerPoint presentations all the way through to, you know, learning how to, you know, leverage, you know, automation and Python and coding. Yeah. Know, you're doing and analyzing data. Right. Right. And uh, it, it's uh, it's come a long way. And I think it really has simplified the way. Uh, uh, you know, the analysts are working. Uh, number two, I think it's also, uh, there is a better work life, um, you know, that the companies are coming to realize that, uh, you know, in order to keep uh, talent in the industry, uh -huh. um, they need to uh, change their ways uh, somewhat. Uh, and the reason I say that is because some of the best talent that used to always migrate uh, into the financial services industry is now getting picked apart into big tech, into startups, into private equity. All these other things, right. And, and there, is, there is a, there's a battle underway for that talent. 
Mm, no makes sense um yeah that's great especially like it's so interesting when you were pointing out things and and the way that they have also stood you know the test of time or some of the things that have changed like with traditional banking initially it was all about just like all these spreadsheets and powerpoints and and you have worked in the industry even when those things weren't so mainstream and so you were you know you experienced um different different things there uh that's great to hear though that's such a volume of experiences um also wanted to touch upon something um i think you know you mentioned this um when you were talking about how you were painting the arc so called arc of the of the industry and you you mentioned the 2008 crash um i one of my favorite movies is the big shot and <laughs> you know how those four people and i've been following michael barry ever since and how you know they shorted um the housing market um so i have been like sort of following the guy now and recently i also read an article where he has pointed out how um, not only him but a few other analysts have also pointed out that how there's a possibility given given especially you know how the, um, the i don't know what it's called but the covid relief bill came in people got a lot of free money as they say there's a lot of influx of money that also increased the inflation rate and all of that that there's a high chance that maybe not with the housing market but with some other market there is a chance that 2008 could repeat itself potentially in the next 5 to 10 years what do you think about that is 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 it just like bound to happen like what are your thoughts on this so so, so that's a that's a great question i think there's two things that have happened since 2008 that will really prevent uh, a similar type of crash happening right um number 1 uh the the dot frank act right and and the related you know uh regulatory actions on all the big banks on how they stay capitalized and okay. preventing them from taking similar risks you know that they were taking in the in the in the past um are in place and are tested on a you know you know up to you know two to four times a year right so um i think i think there's a lot more checks and balances in place mm-hmm. uh, with that being said are there bubbles in the market sure and the bubbles will happen to be there i think what you're going to see is that these big banks because of the way they're operating now uh, will be able to withstand those bubbles if they do burst and crash uh and that could happen within the credit card market that could happen within housing that could happen within other you know inflationary uh, related markets right that um crypto <laughs> um all the way through to you know when you think through what happened last year right we had the economy effectively shut down right oh yeah with the pandemic and, uh-huh. with with what happened with covid and and how the banks responded and and they were capitalized to withstand right any of the you know uh you know actions that happened right uh from you know it, it was it was actually interesting because the the trading markets kind of skyrocketed uh because everybody all of the big institutional uh and and uh sophisticated investors were looking to rebalance their portfolios so you average the position massive, massive spike in volume right uh, uh right when covid hit and and that kind of carried through uh for the remainder of the year where you saw the the big slowdown was in you know consumer spending and and uh and sales at you know various um you know uh whether it's restaurants or you know movie theaters right uh, or uh you know different amusement parks right you saw they took the brunt but what really did take off right your drive through uh food vendors right your yeah. your you know your chick-fil-a's and 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 so you know there were there were ups and downs right so 
obviously, I think I think what's different now is the regulations are really key checks in place. Um, bubbles will continue to be here. They're not going to stop. They're, they'll, they'll, they'll be around. And there's there's speculation really drives the market. Right. So that's gonna, that's really here to stay. Um, I do think, though, um, uh, the areas that are not regulated, you might see more volatility, uh, taking us back to, you know, uh, the blockchain type, uh, you know, uh, exchanges, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot more volatility. Now, some people also said that, you know, uh, you know, investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other uh, blockchain uh, type of uh, instruments um, is what has been a, a great hedge. Right. That's, that's what they say against inflation. Uh, uh, to, to not only inflation, but uh, to the overall market. And the reason why it's completely uncorrelated to the market. Right. right. And, uh, you know, people will say that, hey, you know, the S&P 500 is really, you know, you know, held really driven by your FANG stocks. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, highly concentrated. And, um, you know, so there, there's a lot of different factors that are in play where, uh, you know, where, where folks are, are looking at, um, you know, what's happening in the markets, you know, how are the, the banks going to respond, but really how other parts of the overall market will respond, right? Right. Uh, and, and I think, I think, uh, I, I think we're, we're in a much different place than in, uh, in 2008 with a, with a wider set of what I call safety nets and hedging materials that allow, uh, you know, allow investors to you know, diversify. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we always learn from the mistakes that we've made. Um, and um, this, this thing about crypto as a hedge, you know, I've come across it before. I remember we also talked about it. Um, and it's interesting because there's two sides of the argument, right? I think everyone's talking about crypto nowadays. And um, on one side, there are, uh, there's this really sound financial and logical argument that it does provide a hedge against inflation or whatnot, because if it's, it's volatility and and it's sort of like hesitance to like um, you know follow the market or the market trends. But on the other side, you know you have um, I've heard of stories you know looking at Reddit and all these platforms where people have just you know on a hunch or just the fact that everyone is going into it have invested their life savings and have lost everything. You know have have really gone down the barrel um, and. To some, you know, to, to top that all, I was um, recently listening to an interview by Elon Musk and Elon said that, you know, what's interesting in the tech industry and now also in the finance industry is that the most entertaining outcome is usually the most preferred one, whether it's good, bad, you know, volatile, non-volatile. If that is the way things are, do you think um, we're truly in, in the best hands with the way like you know about the meme stocks, you know about crypto, you know, know about all these volatile markets. So like, what do you think about that statement and about the way things are panning out, especially in these, you know, as I mentioned, crypto and other volatile markets? Yeah, I mean, I mean, starting first with like crypto and Bitcoin, like number one, right? I think very clearly, you know, Bitcoin is driven by speculation, right? right. It's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's too early to tell if it's going to be a clear, Hedge to inflation, right? It's there's we're you know we're 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 too we're too short in our understanding uh, of the market dynamics to say that definitively. With that being said, right? I think I think um, having it as a uncorrelated uh, hedge to the overall market is you know is a, is a, is 
is a consideration that many investors are, are looking at, right? Okay. Um, when you, as this goes forward, right, the, you got to look at the macro trends, right? Where, you know, the way people are, the way people are uh, operating in terms of spending their money, using currency and using, uh, and how businesses are exchanging, right? Uh, uh, payments, it's going to go through, uh, you know, there needs to be easier channels than swiping a, a MasterCard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, 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 and even easier channels than, you know, going through and writing a check, right? Like those days are gone, right? I bet you, uh, you know, uh, uh, folks your age are not even, you know, not, don't even have a checkbook anymore, right? Apple Pay is, is uh, everything. So it's, it's, it just it's just giving you a, a sign of the times where you know the the whole uh the whole population is going to be operating in a different manner uh, mm-hmm. especially the global population and i think that's really where um uh you know if you look at some of those macro trends you know crypto and, and bitcoin and, and the different vehicles that it provides will really enable uh, a lot more activity now as that activity gets measured and better understood, I think it's going to have, um, it's going to start reducing the risk uh, and the speculation that currently is um, prevalent in many right. of these uh, crypto exchanges. But I, but I do believe, I do believe that's something that's only going to gain a lot more steam as we go forward. Yeah. Um, right. and I, think- I go back and I, I, I invested early in, in Bitcoin. Right. Uh, <laughs> This, you know, in the beginning, pe- people, uh, including family members, used to make fun of me for, you know, uh, <laughs> even even uh, considering that as an investment. Right. Uh, but but now, you know, the more you look around, you, you see it as a prevalent, uh, uh, you know, way of uh, doing business, right? And right. investing, right. and 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 uh, I think it's only going to gain more steam. Yeah. And um, what's also very interesting is right after actually Elon made that statement that the most entertaining outcome is the most preferred one. He also said jokingly that usually also the most ironic outcome might be the most favorable one. Like, you know, them joking about you buying Bitcoin then is so ironic now when Bitcoin has gained so much steam. The same could be said about like so many altcoins like when I remember when I first bought Dogecoin, um, I had just heard about it because I follow like these people um, a little closely. So I used to see all these tweets by Elon and that's what made me buy it. Um, and when it like, you know, literally went to the moon <laughs> in the middle, all my friends were like, hey, what is this? You know, let's get into this. Um, that's the thing. I mean, there's so many people who resist change in the sense that, um, especially the elders, if you've seen like, you know, like younger, sorry, younger generations are more willing to adapt to newer change. But if you see the elders, sometimes they'd be like, this is not meant to last, you know, until it actually happens. And then things actually change. Um, Similar to that, I remember. um, So we had in one of these events that I was in um, as part of like this, this summer class, we had Mr. Eddie Q come in. So he's uh, currently the global vice president of internet and software at Apple. He was talking about Apple Pay. He was one of the key guys who released it. And he said that the same thing went with Apple Pay. When we first released it, everyone was just laughing at us. No one's going to ship from credit cards and checks to, to your system. 
Um, and now it's, it's funny because we process more transactions in a year than any bank has ever done. Um, and so that's, that's what you're saying. And that's what made me realize that things will change. It's that your willingness to adapt to it that has to change itself. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all just, you know, you can talk about it for hours about this. Um, another thing that I wanted to briefly touch upon before we close is, um, just the fact that, um, how, how all these like new technologies that I just mentioned, right. Are coming up and how people don't, you know, some people, they feel that just because they don't understand it, they won't be able to do anything with it, right? Uh, like when Bitcoin first came around, it took a long time for it to become mainstream before people started actually investing in it. What advice or what suggestion do you have for those people who don't come into the industry because they're too scared or maybe too apprehensive of the fact that they don't know anything and so they might end up just losing everything? So like, you know the standard low risk appetite. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like in general, like I would advise anybody don't invest in anything you don't understand. Right. That, that's like kind of, you know, rule number two, rule number one is buy low, sell high. Right. right. <laughs> but sure. I, think, I think, I think that's important because um, what, what that can do from a, as an investor, right. What that can do is um, really put you in a situation where, um, you, you really don't know how to manage your own money, right? Um, you know, some of, the, some of the things I tell people and also tell my children is invest in the companies that you actually understand what they do. Right. And you understand their products. You might be a customer of those products. And, and because what that's going to inform you on is whether or not you're satisfied as a, as a customer, mm -hmm. right? Do you, do you like the feature function of the products that they're selling, right? Would you recommend it to a friend, right? And, it, and, and then you'll understand whether or not that company has potential for making more money. As you get more sophisticated, you start understanding the management team. Are they well, you know, are they, are they a well-trained uh, management team that are running the company, right. understanding their financials, their balance sheet, their, their you know, their pipeline of products, right? And whether or not that's going to expand over time or is it a, you know, is it in a different place, right? So those are the sort of the thought process that you would go through. Um, as a, you know, as an industry, right? When you think through, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the places that we're going, you know, uh, what, what I keep encouraging to colleagues of mine in the industry is we need to embrace it, right? Uh, if you don't embrace this change and the transformation that's happening uh, throughout the, you know, throughout the world, right? Whether it's through um, these new alternative technologies, through these alternative investment vehicles, all the way through to alternative payment vehicles, right? Um, you're you're going to get left behind, right? Kind of like the guy with his checkbook. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's 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 one of those things where um, you know technology is always evolving, right? I still remember going back in uh, 2006, I believe, I got my first iPhone and I was walking around uh, JP Morgan. Uh, it's a funny story uh, with, my, with my manager at the time, who was uh, a gentleman who was probably in his late uh, 50s, uh, getting re ready for retirement, right? He was a senior managing director uh, uh, in a global role. And he saw me walking around with uh, the iPhone and he goes, what is that? The new Apple phone? I go, no, this is the iPhone. And I go, right. and, and I go, and Bob, guess what? It changed my life. 
Wow. I did. At that point, it changed my life. And he was like, what? He was like, he just couldn't believe me. Like, how, what do you mean it changed your life? I got this, you know, Nokia flip phone and I'm, and this is really good. I'm like, right. I'm like, no, 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 this, this phone literally changed my life. Um, and a couple of weeks later, I ended up seeing him, you know, with his own iPhone. Right. <laughs> and, and I was thinking back then, like, ah, oh, this guy, he, he got an iPhone too. And I asked him, hey, Bob, what do you think about the iPhone? He goes, yeah, he goes, you're right. It changed my life too. Wow. Right. And, and that's when I realized, man, I think Apple's got something. Right. And, and if, you know, if I had, I had the thought back then, like if we're able to do business on these phones, right. It's going to really transform the way we operate uh, as not only a company, but as an individual. Right. Definitely. And, and look, look at where we are now in 2021. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, that's... And, and personally, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Right yeah uh there's there's a lot more that's going to happen in uh in these digital environments um over the next 10 15 years and what you're going to also find is that you know the time period that we just talked about from 2006 to 2021 call it roughly you know 15 16 years um the half-life of the product development and speed to market is going to keep keep increasing keep increasing and and uh, it's going to shorten the, the life cycle. So That's, I, think, I think all of us need to just embrace, you know, the pace of which technology is going to uh, move us forward. Um, where you want to be careful is um, how it, you know, don't let it define the way you invest because if you don't understand it, right, it can, it can, it can take you over. Right. This is this is great. Yeah. Um, the, the exponentiality of technological change along with the fact that, you know, understand the company, uh, let alone, you know, be a customer for it before investing in it is really a sound decision. Because just like you, you know, when, when you have, a, um, I think everyone says, you know, like uh, word to mouth marketing is the best form of marketing in the sense that when you listen to it from your colleagues, your family, your friends, that's when you know that it has actually created an impact on a, on, on the standard level where you actually want it to. Um, but yeah, so many great things to take away from this conversation. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, Don, thanks for bringing me on. And uh, I, 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 hope, uh, I hope some of this, uh, you know, some of this dialogue that we had today would, uh, would really help, you know, uh, your listeners here and, and glad to come back on any other time. Definitely, definitely. And I'm sure it will. Thanks a lot for joining us. And you guys stay tuned for another episode of the NP Podcast.